How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 296 of X-Lapsed, where, boy, we're really just knocking on the door 300, aren't we? That's uh, pretty wild here. Uh, today, we're going to be heading into the flagship, and uh, kind of like the last time we talked about the flagship, uh, we can cue up Michael Jackson to sing, uh, this is filler, filler time, because uh, uh, <laughs> this is... Uh, well, let's get into it. Um, this is X-Men, Volume 6, Number 5, at a January 2022 cover date. The story's called Fearless Chapter 5, colon, Don't Piss Off Polaris. And I hate it already. Um, written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Javier Pina and Z, Z. Carlos. Uh, colors, Eric Arshanaga. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Amaro White, Sabolsky, cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale, allegedly, November 17th. Of 2021. Now we open with the X-Men fighting the new Reavers in Mexico. Now these Reavers, of course, are from uh, Duggan's own Marauders run, wherein these baddies were mercenaries that were altered by the Hellfire Tots, or Omenes Verandi. Now these mercenaries, they all suffered injury at the hands of mutants, and so they've basically been programmed to want revenge, and uh, also to, uh, I guess, interfere with Mexican elections, I, I guess. Um, now, this crew of baddies has taken out our team, except for Polaris. Well, well, she was out, but she pulls herself together, and she looks around to just take in all the carnage, and she finally sees Jean KO'd nearby, and she freaks out. Well, not because Jean is down necessarily, but because she notices that when she looks at Jean, that she also sees her... Dropped Starbucks. Um, you know, she she's a coffee drinker now. That That's this character development. You see, uh, Lorna Dane is now girl who likes coffee. Um, that's not completely fair. That's not completely fair because they have added more to her. She's also girl who has a doctorate we never saw her earn. So um, there's that too. Kind of half-baked. Um, now, um... You remember that Iceman story we just covered, the New Year's story, that awful thing that we survived? Um, I think that was all about stagnation with the illusion of change, right? I think that's what that was trying to tell us. Maybe I misunderstood it. Um, as mentioned, I did check the F out early on in that one, but uh, stagnation with the illusion of change. Uh, thy name is Polaris, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, so Lorna loves her uh, flat white... Um, can't just call it coffee, you see, because she's not a savage. Um, so she's standing there. She's mad about her coffee. She talks tough. She says she's pissed off. And this takes us to 
a double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred, in which we find out the title of this issue is Don't Piss Polaris Off. So, yada yada. Anyway, our characters include Cyclops, Jean Grey, Sunfire, Sink, Wolverine, that's the X-23 version, Polaris, and some girl with, like, a white stripe in her hair. I, I, I don't remember her name. Uh, back to comics, and hey, we're back at the friggin' Hellfire Gala. So, um, stagnation with the illusion of change, right? Now, before we move on here, did anybody else read that we're coming up on yet another X-Men election? Uh, we won't shut up about the first one, right? And this, quote, newly elected team, that's what they say in the pre- in not the preview page, but like the, the double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. There's a little, like, blurb that catches you up. And they refer to this team as the, quote, newly elected team. They've only been together for five issues, including one complete filler issue, and they haven't finished their first story arc and we're already promoting the next groundbreaking X-Men election? Jesus. Um, so yeah, we're back to the gala, and it's time for the mutant voodoo election. Now we see Lorna, who's thinking to herself, just not me. So she doesn't want to be on the team, apparently. Jean pops in and changes it to, just pick me. And so she's on the team. Even though... During X-Factor number 10, Lorna herself apologized to Northstar for putting herself forward to join the new X-Men. I, I know it's a fool's errand to expect editorial and creative, you know, the people who actually get paid to keep all this straight, to, you know, keep this all straight. But uh, maybe that's just something wrong with my programming. Anyway, from here, our scene shifts to earlier in the week, it's Monday, where Polaris is helping stifle a nuclear meltdown at a power plant. And she magnetically yanks some big glowing isotope. Then, the book remembers that Rogue is a member of the cast. So, uh, Duggan is kind enough to give her a single panel to drag the isotope, or whatever it is, away in the Proud Star. Next up, it's Tuesday, where the X-Men are fighting some generic monsters, some beasts that have been spliced together. Probably Dr. Stasis people, you know, or critters, I guess. Now, Polaris notices a seal terrier approaching, which, as you might imagine, is a mixture of a seal... And a terrier. Now, this little monster doesn't pose any threat at all, and in fact looks completely disinterested in the entire thing. Perhaps mirroring Lorna's own feelings about, you know, all of this. Definitely mirroring my own. Um, anyway, Lorna notices that this little bugger's wearing a camera around its neck. So it looks like our heroes are being watched by Dr. Stasis, who then kills the little seal pup critter. Now, X-23 sees the thing keel over and automatically assumes that Lorna killed it. I think this is supposed to be comedy, and maybe that's not fair, but, uh, you know, I think we're, we're coming uh, across a, uh, a realization here that when a writer takes over the flagship X-Men book, they have to sacrifice their ability to be funny to some sort of uh, demigod or something. Maybe Mephisto comes and it's like, hey, you can no longer be funny if you want to write X-Men. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Oh, by the way, in case you forgot, Lorna Dane is now a doctor. And if you did forget, don't worry, the last three pages mentioned it about a half dozen times, and we're not done yet. Finally, we come back to the present, where Polaris uses X-23's unconscious body to slice and dice the new Reavers. She also uses her powers to yank the fillings out of all of their teeth. And now, hey, I know Lorna's a doctor but nobody said anything about her being a dentist, too. Oh, and she also says, to me, my fillings, when yanking them out... 
Jerry, what happened to you, man? You used to be funny. Anyway, Laura wakes up and uh, continues beating up the chuds. What's a chud? That's a good question, right? Let's check Urban Dictionary here. So we got a few definitions, the first of which is an unattractive person whose defining characteristic of their personality is their egotism. Huh. Could Laura be talking about current year Polaris here? Mm. Two, um, a defecation of at least medium length and width with a meaty appearance, very firm with little flexibility. So I think we nailed it there, right? Okay, okay. She's probably talking about that movie from the 80s, uh, which I wouldn't imagine Laura being, you know, pop culture savvy, even pop culture of yesteryear savvy enough to know, but we'll allow it. Uh, when the dust settles, Lorna settles into her third new character trait, which is girl who wears sunglasses. You see, hers broke during the fracas, and so she steals a pair from a reaver, and, uh, I don't know. These reavers are kind of gross. I don't know that I'd want to take a pair of glasses off their disgusting face and put it on my own. I'd figure that might be, uh, unadvisable. Also, when the dust settles, Laura tells Everett that she hasn't forgotten that they've got to have a talk later on, and I'm just glad that Duggan hasn't forgotten that Everett's in the book. Cyclops yells to the people of Mexico that they're safe to cast their ballots. And Cyclops says half this line in Spanish, half this line in English. Uh, the part he says in Spanish is basically like, hey, attention, everybody. But the other half, the important half, he says in English. So for all these poor Mexican civilians know... Cyclops just threatened to murder all of them if they set foot out of their homes. Now, at this point, Lorna and Jean, they have a little aside to talk about their, you know, their own effed up election. Lorna asks why Jean tampered with her mental ballot, to which Jean says that she just went with Lorna's first impulse, which was to join the team and try to meet her potential or something. So, hey, we can never, you know, we can never say that Jean isn't Professor X's student, right? Free will? Ha! Not on her watch. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter so long as you know what's best for other people. And, you know, Lorna pretty much says as much in reply, so she's okay with it. Uh, info page. Uh, it's a letter from Polaris to Northstar wherein she uh, suggests that he should join the X-Men as well. So, okay. Uh, maybe in that next election that we're going to be getting very soon. Info page again. Now, this is a letter from the X-Men to the people of New York City, and it's about some sort of outreach program. The Hellfire Club is going to help counsel the poor people on legal issues. Okay. You know, the, the whole point of these outreach programs that the X-Men are doing is, like, to kind of change the perception of what the mutants are, to show that, you know, they're just, you know, regular people. Maybe we want to change the name of the Hellfire Club. Maybe, you know, it's like, hey, you're going to be helped by the Hellfire Club. I don't know. Anyway, so we go back to comics, and it's Mutant Outreach Day. And, you know, we see people showing up, we see people being fed. We also see Ben Urich arriving to chat up Cyclops. And, uh, you know, cutting to the chase here, he flat out asks if mutants have figured out a way to solve death. You know, he saw Jumbo Carnation die and he's back. Cyclops died and came back. Nathan Summers, uh, his grave was empty, so... Yada, 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 mutants solve death. And Yurik says that this is the biggest story in the last 2,000 years. Even though... Say it with me. This is the fantastical Marvel Universe where nobody stays dead. Captain America was shot dead on the steps of a courthouse with millions of people watching, and uh, last we checked, he's running around just fine. 
Now, this sort of line of questioning only really works if the X-Men are the only super characters in the universe. But they're not. So it's kind of forced. It's forced as hell, actually. Anyway, this takes us to the end of the issue. Cyclops does not answer, and Ben walks away. That is where we leave it. Oh, also, uh, Dr. Stasis is watching this all play out. I think it's Dr. Stasis. It's some pervert with a telescope. But yeah, that's that. Uh, next time out, we're going to be talking about, I believe, the penultimate issue of The Trial of Magneto. So uh, looking forward to that. But for now, let's talk about this. Um, if it wasn't clear from my synopsis, I really didn't care for this all that much. I will say that the focus on Polaris is a good idea. I think it would be a really cool thing to do if it didn't feel so superficial. If you want to develop a character, then maybe, you know, d develop a character. <laughs> I mean, the only thing they're showing us is that she's a girl who wears shades and likes coffee. Uh, they're telling us a lot more about her. They're telling us that she's a doctor. I mean, don't ever, ever forget, even though they kind of forgot to show us that she went to school for several years in order to earn the degree and title. They're also telling us that she's an underachiever. Which, okay, you know, fair play to that one. Uh, let's look at Lorna's past here. She's do -si doed with the X-Men ever since her first appearance in the 60s. It stands to reason that she might not be completely confident in her abilities as a hero. She's also went nuts. <laughs> She's also discovered that she was and wasn't and was and wasn't and was Magneto's daughter. But, damn it, how about you show us that? Rather than just having Jean screw around in her head to tell us. Maybe show us. Uh, now, this issue didn't show Lorna as uncomfortable in her role. It really just showed her acting like a sarcastic, snarky, Bendisonian female character. Which doesn't really work for what they were trying to accomplish, at least not in my opinion. I mean, the whole thing feels like a forced-in afterthought. Lorna is basically acting like any female character that Bendis has written in the past quarter century. So, not great. Um, now, afterthoughts. Let's speak of more afterthoughts. We get one panel of Rogue, and one or two panels of Sunfire. This is supposed to be the team book, right? And yet, here we are still doing the character spotlight thing, just like the Hickman volume, but maybe with even less actual content. Um, yeah, I'm also pretty sure that Emma Frost got more dialogue here than half the team did. So, uh, I guess the more things change, right? Now, let me try to swing to the other side here and be fair about the context of this issue. We've been saying this over the past several episodes, actually for the past many episodes, um, talking about the feeling that the, all this filler and water treading that we're getting might be an unfortunate side effect of Hickman deciding to leave the family. You know, the books definitely have that feeling of water treading. And I mean, I'm no businessman. I'm no creative guy, but, uh, you know, here's an idea. Maybe put the line on friggin' hiatus. You know, don't make us pay four bucks a piece for a time-wasting exercise. They, you know, they did it with House of X, Powers of X, right? They, those were the only books that came out. And I think it was better for that. Here, we're still forcing the line to move. And when they're not moving, it, it just really feels like we're gumming up the works here. And, you know, like I mentioned, we're already gearing up to make this team, this newly elected team, a thing of the past. 
and they're not even done with their first story. I swear, gang, uh, I mean, we're three days, as of this recording, we're three days into 2022, and I am already sick and tired of hearing about what's to come in X-Men comics in 2022. We have another election, as mentioned. We have... <sighs> oh, boy. Um, last week, a friend of mine, uh, Jason Colby, he uh, let me know that something pretty big happened in that uh, Kang the Conqueror one-shot, the uh, Timeless and I, I made a joke about that during um, our last Monday episode with the, you know, This Week in X thing. It's like, you can have 55 flavors of Kang, but there's no X-Men books or something like that. And I really didn't consider it must-reading until I found out about the big reveal on the final page. So I ran out and picked it up because, uh, well, that's kind of what I do. And I, I don't want to ruin it for anybody who might be saving it, so I won't. But uh, there were some, I guess we can say, previews at the end of it. You know, Marvel preview type things Where it's just a page and some symbols But uh, we found out that there's going to be An X-Men versus Avengers versus Eternals event this summer To which, it's like, must we? I mean, we, we haven't even started the post-Hickman era yet We have all these new books coming We have this new status quo And, and I mean, you know that after that We're going to get another new status quo and that's not even taking into account the fact that uh, we've already been taunted with the possibility that we're going to waste another entire month of X-Books on a Hellfire Gala. I'm telling you, it's, like I said, it's three days into 2022, and I'm already tired of the X-Men news. <laughs> Maybe I need a break. I don't know. You, well, what, what say you? Maybe I should uh, hang it up for a little bit. Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that good stuff. You know, I'm starting to think that Hickman might have had the right idea. Uh, bailing when he did uh, So what else we got this issue um, Well, Ben Urich and Solving for Death And we've talked about this This really shouldn't even be news uh, Everybody comes back from the dead In the Marvel Universe Hell, I mean, he noticed Cyclops is back This isn't even the first time Cyclops Died and came back He's died and come back like three or four times Before this, why now? And you know, I understand the appeal Of exploring this in story Because as people who live in the mundane world, this is a very crazy story, and it and it does it does invite um, analysis. But like I said, unless the X Men are the only super folks in the Earth, the universe, the universes in Marvel Comics, then this feels pointedly convenient and forced. I mean, really, this could be happening in any and every Marvel comic. I mean, let's pretend we're Ben Yurick for a second. Hey, Cap, have the Avengers solved for death? Hey, Reed, have the Fantastic Four solved for death? Hey, Boring Eternals guy, have the Eternals solved for death? Hey, Boring Inhumans guy, have the Inhumans solved for death? Hey, S.H.I.E.L.D., has S.H.I.E.L.D. solved for death? I mean, come on. This could be in any book. And again, I get it. Since so much of this Kirkoan era is predicated on the fact that, you know, death doesn't matter anymore. But it doesn't make it any less forced. I mean, overall, uh, you know, this book feels like it has zero heart. And maybe even less reason to exist. Um, again, this might just be a victim of Hickman leaving. But if that's the case, then you need to be a little bit more creative than this. You need to... 
make your exercise in treading water feel a little less like you're treading water. Otherwise, maybe consider putting some of the books on hiatus. And, uh, you know, by the way, uh, when pulling up the cover art for this issue on Comixology in order to make, like, the episode art card that I put up, Comixology happens to have, like, the best quality um, scan of the, of the covers of these books. It looks, you know, beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. If you go to, like, the Marvel Wiki, it's kind of grainy. If you go to Marvel's website, it looks kind of grainy. But uh, for some reason, Comixology just... Uh, Nails it with the uh, with the quality. So I go to Comixology to yank covers so I can cut them up and you know throw the sepia filter on it and do the X Labs art. But uh, while I was there, I noticed the solicit for this issue, and it uh, reads as follows: Enter Doctor Stasis. The X Men's new nemesis finally makes himself known to them, bringing his creations to bear. Mutants may have conquered death, but their foes are all too living. And, well, that didn't happen. So I think we might have just solved for filler, gang, uh, and uh, paid four bucks for the privilege. So, uh, in other words, we got got. But with all that said, let's hop into the mailbag here. It's been a long time since we've done mailbag, so, uh, and I apologize for that. It's just been a weird holiday season here. So let's start with Damien, who's talking about Phoenix Song Echo Number 1, which we discussed... Uh, I was going to say the episode number, but I don't remember it. It wasn't too long ago. Uh, Damien says, Hi, Chris. I haven't read this comic, and I honestly have no interest in reading it. But having listened to the episode, I have a question. Why does the Phoenix power set fire to a building? It's a long-established fact that Phoenix Flame is psychic and not an actual heat source. Is this just another case of the Avengers shenanigans changing the Phoenix, like an AVX? Or just wonky continuity? Um, I'm not a betting man. You guys know that, but, uh, do you really think Rebecca Roanhorse or the editorial has any clue about the history of the Phoenix? Probably not. I'm guessing it's wonky continuity, a lack of, uh, lack of attention by editorial, and, uh, yeah, just not really caring about what came before. I, I Then again, I could be wrong Maybe this was a major, major plot point In an Avengers issue where it's like Wait a minute, this used to be psychic and now it's hot I just doubt it And you guys know I've been really beating the drum On continuity of late Where, like, from issue to issue From week to week, we're getting contradictions And the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's You know, doing And, I mean, Phoenix history is now 40 years old, right? I mean, it's 40-something years old At this point, I couldn't imagine that the people writing comics today, you know, I wouldn't bet money that they even read those issues. So, I mean, that's just me. Maybe I'm projecting. That is always a possibility and a probability. But, uh, I don't know, I have a sneaking suspicion that um, when uh, writers see fire, they think hot, and they don't think anything uh, more. Uh, next up, we got Peter talking about Thor 444, part of our Merry X-Lab series. And um, during that episode... There was a mention that a toy was bought at Toys R Us, to which I made a comment about how Toys R Us is now back in Macy's. <laughs> it's a, not its own standalone store, but it's a department in Macy's now, which is cool. I, I, I like that Toys R Us is around. But uh, during the uh, discussion there, I made a passive-aggressive comment about how all of uh, my Gen X peers uh, 
lamented the loss of Toys R Us and like we we hated the fact that Toys R Us is gone and we blamed you know you know Walmart and Target for the loss of Toys R Us and how that signified so much of our childhood and youth and uh, we wish it was still a place we can go shop and I would always make the comment there that it's like well yeah it's not there for a reason it's not there because you didn't shop there and uh, yeah I used to work for Hasbro Toys I was a merchandiser for a couple of years during my um, my in between jobs era I would come in and go out uh, I was seasonal there and uh, when it was busy they would call me in and I would uh, I would help out and we would hit the like the big three as it came to toys back then it was you know of course Walmart Target and Toys R Us and I tell you it was usually around Christmas time. It was actually only around Christmas time that they that they you know employed me. But I remember going to you know the WalMarts to you know set up things and talk to the the toy department managers and whatnot. And uh, one of the things that would sell like gangbusters for Hasbro was uh, Play-Doh. Play-Doh is like always in season. It's not one of those things that uh, that goes away in terms of popularity. People always want Play-Doh. And I remember going to Walmart and seeing that they had little tubs of Play-Doh for uh, three for a dollar. It's like, oh, you know, that's I think that's a fair price. Three to three three little tubs for a buck. Then I'd go to Target to set up there, and um, they'd have the, the the little you know plastic Play-Doh tubs for two for a dollar. Okay, not as good as Walmart, but uh, hey, you might want to visit a Target more than you want to visit a Walmart. Who knows? For whatever reason. If you have any sort of political dislike for Walmart or how they do business, then yeah, Target is a viable option, and you can get your Play-Doh there relatively cheap. Then I go to Toys R Us, where a tub of Play-Doh is $2.99. And in fact, every Hasbro product is is folding money more expensive than they are at uh, at Walmart or Target. And it's like, well, that's that's why this company is not in business anymore. And so I would make my passive-aggressive comments about how, yes, if uh, Toys R Us was still around, you would continue to not shop there. To which Peter writes in to say, let the Generation Xers in the U.S. know that while Toys R Us is dead in the U.S., it's still doing quite well in Canada. I did not know that. But that is very, very interesting to know. I, I do know that uh, Target didn't do so well in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. I think they tried launching Target, and that just uh, didn't stick the landing. But very interesting to know that uh, Toys R Us is still a thing. So if you're ever feeling bad that Toys R Us is not its own standalone store anymore, just know that it is somewhere. <laughs> it exists somewhere. Now, we do have a few more emails I wanted to get to today, but I'm noticing that... The battery on my laptop is down to 8% right now. I don't know what the hell is going on. So let me wrap up there. Um, let's hop into some shout-outs here. I want to thank the patrons at patreon.com slash xlapsed. Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. Thank you all so much for your support, for believing in me, and for uh, spending time with me. And I'll... Lord, the thing just dropped down to 3%, so I gotta cut out quick here. So I want to thank you all so much for spending some of your day with me today, and until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!